So we're in the third of our sermons um, in the Transform series. Um, We're going to look at different areas that God wants to transform in our lives. And today's theme is transformed in my mental health, which is, of course, the obvious and ideal topic for Valentine's Day. Um, uh, I just wonder how many of you have ever thought, my partner's driving me mad, you know, so don't put your hand up, that will ruin Valentine's Day. Um, But this um, title, obviously God can heal people like Michael, um, who've got various uh, mental illnesses and difficulties. Um, But really the topic today is more about being transformed in our thinking and nurturing a healthy mind. And so probably a better title would be transformed in my mind health rather than my mental health. And the key verse which uh, Michael was writing there is Romans chapter 12 verse 2. And it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God is often more interested in transforming our minds than changing our circumstances. I mean, obviously, we want God to change our circumstances. And our first prayer is, uh, Lord, heal me, uh, take away this sadness or this sorrow. Uh, the suffering I'm going through, the problems I'm experiencing. Uh, But God is often interested in seeing what's happening inside of us, changing our minds before he changes our circumstances. Let me illustrate it in this way. I have a friend, very good friend, who used to work in a private hospital. And he was the the buyer, brought in all the supplies. Uh, Busy job. And he generally gets on really well with everybody. He's uh, just quite a kind of easygoing character, likes to make lots of quips and jokes and gets on really well with most people. There was just one lady that he worked with. He he just couldn't stand her. I mean, they just didn't work well together at all. They they just clashed all the time. And he thought, I'm going to have to do something about this. So he thought, I better start praying about this difficult relationship I've got at work. And he started praying, and then after about three weeks of praying uh, about this situation, he noticed that his relationship with her uh, was getting easier, that, that they were beginning to get along much better. And gradually, over a period of time, they became really good work colleagues. They worked really well together. Now, he didn't pray that she would get sacked or lose a job or move to another place uh, or that he would get transferred or something. Uh, he just prayed in that circumstance, God, please help me to get on with this, this woman. And God changed him in the process. So why is it important that uh, we manage our minds? I think two brief reasons, really. First of all, because uh, our thoughts control our lives. Every single action begins with a thought. If it's a good thought, it'll probably be a good action. If it's a bad thought, it'll be a bad action. Uh, These thoughts control our lives, either for good or for ill. And then secondly, it's important that we learn to manage our minds because our minds are the battleground for sin. Uh, It's where we win or lose the battle. All temptation starts in the mind and then potentially leads to sin. Of course, uh, many sins stay in our minds, and that's where they they start and finish. So uh, pride and lust and bitterness and hatred and anger and fear, resentment, envy, worry, all of those sorts of things are up here in our heads. So if we can learn to manage our minds, we can learn to manage our lives. That's where the battleground is. Uh, Our thoughts control our actions. It's the battleground for sin. 
So there are choices that we have to make on a daily basis in order to have a healthy mind. If we want healthy minds, we need to do three things. I'm going to talk about three things this morning. First of all, we need to feed our minds. Secondly, we need to free our minds. And thirdly, we need to focus our minds. So let's look at the first one. We must feed our minds with truth. So often we think that our perception of truth is correct and that God's perception of truth is probably not correct. When Goliath came against the Israelites, the soldiers all thought, he's so big we can never kill him. David, who had more of God's perspective, looked at the same giant and thought, he's so big I can't miss. We often believe what we think is true about ourselves rather than look at what God says about ourselves and believe his version of it. And we know that Satan is a liar. The Bible calls him the father of lies, and he is out to enslave us. And there are so many things that we believe about ourselves which just aren't true. God does not agree with what we think about ourselves. So we might think, consistently think, oh, God doesn't really love me. He loves everybody else that I know who's a Christian, but he doesn't really love me, does he? Or we might think, I actually know better than God does what will make me happy. Or I can never forgive myself. Or actually, I'll never amount to anything. Or if something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. Those kinds of thoughts can whirl around in the back of our heads and get sort of ingrained there. But often, according to God's word, that it just isn't true from his perspective. Uh, Because we find, as we read the Bible, he does love us with an everlasting love. He does have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, as Michael talked about in the video. He does know what is best for us. Some of you will have done the Freedom in Christ course. And towards the end of the course, there is a strategy for breaking wrong thought patterns. And they suggest doing four things. They say, first of all, you need to determine the lie that's going around regularly and consistently in your head. Uh, So that might be, well, God doesn't really love me. So you need to identify that first. Write that down. And then you need to find as many Bible verses which counteract that lie, telling you, for example, that God really does love you. And you write down lots and lots of Bible verses. And when you've done that, they suggest you write a prayer, a declaration, which says, I renounce the lie that God doesn't love me, for example, and I announce the truth that God has loved me with an everlasting love. And then they suggest that you take these Bible verses and this prayer that you've written, and for 40 days consecutively, you read through the verses every day, and you pray that prayer or that declaration in order to get the truth firmly into your mind. It isn't a magic formula, but many people have found that in doing that, they've really changed their understanding of what God feels about them. They've pushed away the lie from their their minds, and they've accepted God's truth. So we need to set ourselves free from the lies that constantly are there in our minds. But then also we need to positively feed on truth. Now, We all know the importance of nutrition. We're constantly being told that we need to eat good foods because that causes us to be stronger and healthier and gives us more energy. We're told that junk food doesn't do us any good. And a man called Patrick Buchanan said, 
the food that enters the mind must be watched as closely as the food that enters the body. So we need to feed our minds on truth, and of course the Word of God is the truth. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, when Jesus is being tempted by Satan, he comes back to Satan and says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the Bible is our soul food. If you're constantly thinking about truth, it's going to renew your mind. It's going to change your mind. When I was at college, I shared a room uh, for a year with a Jamaican guy called Mike. And he was a fantastic, mature Christian believer. He'd been a, a Christian for many years. And I was a new believer. But I drew a lot from that relationship with him. And he was wise beyond his years. He used to say, I like to carry my quiet time with me through the day. And what he meant by that was that he would meditate on a, a few verses of Scripture at the beginning of the day. And then he would uh, just go back to those Scriptures in his mind. Any time through the day he didn't need to concentrate on something else, he'd just go back to it and think about the verses that he'd read. And so he would take his quiet time, as he put it, through the day. King David said something similar in Psalm 119, verses 147 148. He said, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your words. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. And so David was looking at the at scripture in the beginning of the day and then all the way through and even into the night time, uh, just feeding on truth all the way through. So that's the first thing we need to do. We need to feed on truth. We need to focus on that. Secondly, if we're going to have healthy minds, we need to free our minds from destructive thoughts. Now that isn't easy at all because we're battling against three things. We're battling against the world and the flesh and the devil. Uh, the world has very different sets of values from ourselves. It, it promotes these values in all sorts of ways. They're there is advertising, there are films, there are books, magazines, newspapers, websites, and so on. And this constant stream of different values is coming at us as we go day by day through, through our week. And uh, it's kind of trying to squeeze us into its mold all the time. I recently had a conversation with a lady that became a Christian a few years ago. And she said, I grew up in a family... Uh, the type of family that you would see on the Jeremy Kyle show, she said. It was a uh, kind of fairly dysfunctional family. Uh, Mum and dad drank too much. Dad was a bit violent. Uh, when she became, she was about 13 or 14, and mum lost interest in her completely. Uh, when things went wrong and there were fights or whatever, and nothing was ever said afterwards. Nobody ever talked about it. It was as if it never happened. Um, so she said it was a pretty you know, difficult, dysfunctional sort of family. And uh, then she uh, decided she would run away and get married. And when she got married, the rest of the family couldn't believe it. They just couldn't comprehend it because nobody in their family ever got married. They just lived with various people. And then when she became a Christian, well, that was like the end of it. You know, that was, that was what, what on earth are you doing? And for her, there's such a contrast between those sort of worldly values that she grew up with and what the Christian values that she's now absorbing and taking on board. It's obvious, you know, uh, where the differences are. 
But quite often in the world, it's more subtle than that. Because the world is, you know, is trying to squeeze us into its mold. And uh, we live in an age where tolerance is the new God, don't we? You know, where you have to be tolerant of every philosophy and every faith that's out there. And you're not allowed to criticize anybody. You, 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 you can be, you've got to be tolerant of everything. You can't be an intolerant. And, uh, and so it's all a little bit more subtle very often. Let me give you an example I used to lead a church in southwest London, and I once got an invitation to, uh, from the council to go to a multi-faith worship service and to take part in the worship service as a, 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 a leader, a Christian leader. And uh, the councillors in the borough of Merton thought this was a really good idea because you know, they wanted to show that all faiths were uh, in harmony together and it was to promote some sort of racial harmony. Um, and it seemed like a, a very noble idea. Now, I wrote back to the councillors and uh, politely declined their offer to worship with people of other faiths because I wasn't going to pretend that we were all worshipping the same God. I don't have a problem with meeting people of other faiths, and I've done that on many occasions. We talk about faith, but let's not get in a room and pretend we're all worshipping the same God. But, of course, the councillors didn't understand that necessarily. So they're wanting to set an agenda for people of faith. They're wanting to impose worldly values on believers, but they don't begin to understand the problem with that because their worldly value system is, is ultimately very different. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the first uh, enemy we're battling against in our minds is the world. But then secondly, we're battling against what the Bible calls the flesh and the older translations. Uh, Galatians 5, 16 says... So I I say, live by the Spirit, Paul's writing here, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. He's saying there is a battle then between the old sinful nature and the new nature. We are saved, we're new in Christ, but we live in these bodies which are still uh, physical bodies. And we have these sort of patterns and habits from our past life which are still there. And these things are pulling in different directions. We may have good intentions about changing something in our lives, but the reality is that there's an old nature within us battling us to pull us back to where we were. We also have the Spirit within us pulling in the other direction. Now in James 1, 14 and 15, he says that each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. He says you can't blame God or Satan or anybody else, but particularly he says in that text you can't blame God. It's your own evil desire which is the problem. And after this desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So temptation is a process. It starts inside us with our own evil desires, and then we're enticed to to move towards sin. So it begins in the mind, it's translated into action. We're free to make choices, of course, but we're not free from the consequences of those choices. So we've got the old nature and the new nature in conflict. 
but we also have the resource of the Holy Spirit who is living within us to strengthen us when temptation comes. That's what is being said there. So we've got this battle going on in our minds with the world trying to squeeze us into its mold. We have the flesh and our internal evil desires which we're battling against. And then there's a third enemy, which is the devil. So when I was about 20 years old, I read C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. I don't know whether anybody read The Screwtape Letters. Uh, it's a fun kind of book in, in the sense that it's uh, uh, just a, an imaginative thing of, of what's going on in the unseen world. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this book. He was inspired when he heard a radio broadcast which featured a speech by Hitler in the summer of 1940. And it consists of letters from an uncle who is a demon, who's a retired demon called Screwtape. And he's writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood, who's just started to work as a young demon. And he's working on his first patient, that is, a, a Christian believer, trying to push him off course. And it's an amusing account of the role that demons play in leading us into temptation. Now, sometimes we can underestimate what is happening in the unseen spiritual world and that battle which is going on around us. But Satan does want to keep us in bitterness. He does want to keep us in resentment. He does want to stop us from forgiving other people. He wants to hold us in that place so that we're less effective. Paul says in Ephesians 6.10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. We must be aware that the devil is scheming against us as a church and as individual believers. And he's constantly trying to make you feel guilty and to keep accusing you. But if you're a Christian, you have to understand that the Holy Spirit lives within you. 1 John 4, 4, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than the world and the flesh and the devil all put together. You see, if you listen to a sermon like this, you could think, oh no, how am I ever, ever going to do this? Well, the Holy Spirit is much more powerful than all of those three things together. And so we shouldn't be fearful or over-fearful about this enemy that we have in our lives. He's wanting to derail us all the time. He wants to plant negative thoughts in our minds. Yeah, from the very moment we wake up in the morning, he's, he's going to be saying, you're not going to have a very good day today. You're hopeless. You call yourself a Christian, and yet you said that to that person yesterday. All of those things are coming at us from the one who is called in Revelation 12:10, the accuser, the one that accuses the brothers and sisters in Christ day and night. That verse also says he's going to be overthrown and defeated one day, which is good. But at the moment, he accuses us day and night. So we have the world, we have the flesh, we have the devil. But let's be encouraged because we also have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, who is greater than all of those three put together. Thirdly, then, we must focus our minds on the right things. In Philippians 4, verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
Now, Paul isn't teaching about the power of positive thinking here. What he is saying is that we need to meditate on the great truths of Scripture. And although the the word Scripture isn't used in that particular verse, uh, if you're going to focus on things which are good and true and noble and, and right and pure and lovely, that has got to come out of the Word of God, which is the truth. An old American Indian Christian was explaining to a missionary about this battle that goes on inside of him. He said, it's a bit like two dogs fighting. Which dog wins? asked the missionary. The one I feed the most, replied the Indian. Paul says, you've got to think on that which is good. It is obvious that if we fill our minds with good things, it leads to healthy minds. And the best person we can focus on is Jesus. If we think about him regularly, as an old cliche which says you become what you think about most. And if you think about Jesus, then you will become like Jesus. I think this is also really important that we regularly gather together to worship because we have uh, uh, 30 minutes or whatever it is to focus on Jesus uh, once a week at least. And it's so important that we do that. It's so important that we look and realize that there's somebody greater than ourselves, somebody greater than our problems that we need to get our eyes on. And it does us good to look in his direction. Worship is for our benefit as much as God's. God doesn't really necessarily need our praise and worship. He loves it, but it also does us enormous good because we're focusing on a good thing, focusing on Jesus. Secondly, we need to think about others. The world will tell you, no, it's all about you. You Look out for number one. But actually, the Bible talks about uh, considering the needs of other people, putting other people first, thinking about how we can serve others. And that isn't always easy to do. Uh, If you're in a group, then that's a good place to be, to begin to sort of get to know other people and begin to think, you know, how could I serve the other person in my group? How could I get alongside them to encourage them? Or is there anything practical perhaps I could do for them? And it does us good to think about others. Thirdly, it does us good to think about eternity. It makes a big difference to our mental state. If we're thinking this life isn't the only thing we've got, we, we go beyond this. Colossians 3.2, Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And sometimes you hear people say, well, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly goods. Uh, But that simply isn't necessarily true. Some people that have had the most impact on society and on communities have been believers who have been very aware of their, their heavenly existence to come. And that has motivated them to do all that they can in their earthly existence. Rick Warren says that the real problem is is probably the opposite, that we're so earthly-minded we're no heavenly good. A number of years ago, uh, there was a story that came out in the newspapers in Chicago about a lady who got nicknamed Garbage Mary. And she lived in a flat uh, full of mounds of rubbish. And she spent her life rummaging through dustbins. And the police took her to a psychiatric hospital, and she was in a really confused state of mind. And when they went into her filthy apartment, they were astounded to find stock certificates and bank books which showed she was worth at least a million dollars. She was the daughter of a wealthy Illinois lawyer. 
Now, it's a sad story, but in some ways it, it could be a picture of the way that some Christians kind of live in, you know, take too much time living in the filth and the, and the, the garbage uh, and uh, don't recognize that they are rich in so many ways as children of God. And so we need to do these three things. We need to feed our minds on truth every day. We need to free our minds from destructive thoughts. We need to focus our minds on doing the right thing. And it's simple to understand. I mean, I I think virtually anybody in this room could have stood here and preached this sermon. Because we know many of these verses. We're familiar with them. We we could have thought, yeah, that's easy. That's obvious. The trouble is it's difficult to do. Because our minds are constantly active. You know, we, we're thinking about, I, mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, my mind's going all sorts of directions constantly. When I stop, try and step back and analyze what am I thinking about, there's loads of things coming all the time. And to try and have some sort of management of your mind isn't, isn't that straightforward. Uh, I realized this morning I was thinking about a piece of music I'm learning and then also at the same time thinking about something else. And I thought, I've never realized I could think about two things at once. I'm a man, you know. How did that happen? But there's so many things going on in your heads. And not all of it's good, is it? Because of the world and the flesh and the devil and so on. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit, don't we? Desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. As Paul said, there's this conflict going on. We can kind of lean in towards our sinful nature or we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us. And so in a moment, I'm just going to ask us to stand and I'm going to read some words of Scripture over us, which is a prayer Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to sort of declare it over us because it talks about that inner life and the Spirit strengthening us. So... I'm going to invite us. Let's stand now, shall we, and uh, pray. And I just want you to receive these words um, as truth over you this morning and uh, take it on board with faith as you hear these words. So these are the words. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. I'll say that again. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations.